My name is Katie French and I have the really exciting job of heading up the children's and learning audiences team at the BBC. So it is a bit of a mouthful, but essentially what we do <laughs> is research and analysis to understand the children's audience and feed that back into the business to inform decision making. And we're really lucky because we have access to lots of data and lots of research in order to do our job. And today I want to take you through a recent piece of research we've done alongside Wren at Discovery Research. And before we take you through the key findings, I just wanted to provide like the background. So it's all the stuff you've heard today already essentially, but it provides context to why we did this research. So it's a well-known fact that kids today are born digital. We only saw that just today from Emily. So she basically said that, you know, over the last 10 years, we've seen use of online actually doubling, that when we look at 12 to 15 year olds, that actually time spent online has actually surpassed watching TV. We also see that nearly half of kids are actually watching TV on a, on a, TV, on a screen other than a TV set, and nearly the same amount are now consuming VOD services. <coughs> Within this context, actually BBC Children's performs really strongly. So we, you know, we actually get really good performance figures, but it is challenging times and actually we are seeing long-term declines in linear TV viewing, particularly for ages six years and onwards. So within this context, we then needed to really get to grips with what are the changing needs and behaviours of the audience and how are we going to remain fit for purpose in a digital age? So before I hand over to Ren, who's going to take you through the key findings, we've got a video where you can actually meet some of the children and hear what they had to say and I do need to warn you there is a child that's slightly obsessed with car accidents so um, look out for him. If we had no internet it would be bad because that means we can't watch anything. Can't watch anything? That would be boring. I'd save my iPad because again I have more things on the iPad than the computer because I have, I don't know, like, more than 60 games. And on here, you can chat with your friends, text them and FaceTime them. Mm -hmm. Well, these are football games, and I have some at the bottom, because I'm used to them being at the bottom, so I don't put them in folders. Um, I have quizzes. And that, and that is a load of quizzes where you have to type what it is. Um, I've got Angry Birds. Um, I've got running games like Temple 1-2 and Minion Rush. I've got Fruit Ninja. Other games. Other games. Driving games. Mm -hmm. Disney games. Entertainment. The tablet because it's got loads of games on it. How would you feel if I took your phone away for a day? Feel a little bit um on like unfulfilled <laughs> for that whole day. <laughs> like like you know like I, I left without a coat and it's cold. <laughs> I don't watch TV. I'm lazy <laughs> and the TV's downstairs. Okay. I tend to stay in my room. So I choose, I just use my phone and my iPad to watch TV. That's where you basically play the piano and 
you can listen to music. It's really funny. And you do it to a song, and it goes like this. I'm a cat. Check me out. <laughs> With Minecraft on your Xbox, you got your own virtual world. No rules, no basic planets and laws. No queen to rule you. No president. Nothing like that. It's just your, um, you're the queen. You're the king. You're the prince. You're the princess. You're the president. And it's different in a way because people upload it. Okay. And it's more, you can do it yourself. Right. Rather than people make it with a director and camera, whereas you can be, anyone can be a YouTuber if yeah. you've got a camera. And I'm going to have to say YouTube because you could probably watch episodes of telly yeah. on YouTube as yeah. well. YouTube, I can find things that actually kind of appeal to me. On TV, some things don't appeal to me, so I don't watch it that often. Well, I subscribe to people and then I watch their videos because some of their videos are really cool. Uh, my friends tell me about them, so I guess I just subscribe to them and it's like, oh yeah, they're really cool, so... If I've even played a game, yeah. then I want to find out like tips and tricks and like YouTubers playing, them, playing the games. I think it's really, really um, helpful because if you want to get past the game, it helps you get past a, a level. I watch YouTube on it. You watch YouTube on it as well? And does Mummy help you find YouTube clips on the phone? No, I, 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 know, I know where to find it. Do you? You know that much. It's got that many suggestions. Mm. We don't even need to type anything in. Just type something in and then it says. Okay. Then you can just keep it. Uh, honestly, if I if I don't have YouTube, I don't know. Like it's it's how you like download playlists or listen to music. Why do I get it YouTube? If I wanna <laughs> if I wanna watch like um, catch up on the like latest series, like what's happened, then YouTube. Or if I've seen some people talking about something funny, like that's happened, or something that's news. Oh, it's YouTube. People catch on YouTube. There's like videos that are like top tens. Mm -hmm. It's like today I watched like top ten weirdest car um, accidents. Any time when I watch live TV is when I some um and when I watch TV in the morning. It's good on the iPad because. I'd watch it what I'd missed at school yeah. on my iPad, so I wouldn't miss it okay. because I'd watch it that night okay. and live as well, so I wouldn't miss it. So the stuff on there is really good, okay. and also it shows you little snips of the new one, like the next step second series. Your favourite programmes like on demand all the time, and there's no adverts, so it's like you can get straight into what you want to watch, and it can last for quite a while. It gets onto the videos quicker. It's like less adverts because <laughs> it's mine, like so no one else is really going to take it from me because they don't know the passcodes. Yeah. So they really have no use for it. Yeah. So therefore, it's mine, and I can just watch whatever I want, when I want. So as we've seen from the Vox Pops, a kid's media world now is a connected one. 
and that's powered by the tablet if you're younger or the mobile if, if you're older. And the great thing about these connected devices is it's a portal. It's, you're just a, a, a swipe and a touch, a, a tap away from accessing content that you're interested in and content that's also evolving and changing as kids are evolving and changing. It's kind of there whenever you want, uh, wherever you are. So to understand this kind of content choice in a little bit more detail and to really understand, I guess, the content choice journey, how much content are kids kind of exposed to on their tablet and mobile phones and actually what is that interaction like? Um, what we did with the help of 32 kids aged 3 to 16, with the blessing of their parents, of course, is to download a passive tracking app. So over a two-week period, we were a fly on the wall of kids' mobile phones and tablets that they're kind of using on a, on a frequent basis. So we could kind of actually see what type of content they're watching. Some of the results um, were surprising to me because when we say kids are actually consuming content, we do mean a lot of content. So over a two-week period, kids aged 3 to 16 in total spent three, uh, 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 used 357 different apps and also 1,304 websites. Now that was just on these two screens. So that's a total of screen time of 600 hours in two weeks period. Now, just to put this in context, um, on, on average, that kind of works out to be around 9.5 hours per week that a child is spending just on these two screens. <coughs> so, you know, they're obviously kind of consuming a lot of content, but they also actually have access to a lot of content through the apps and websites that they have on these uh, tablets and web um, uh, mobile phones. So on average kids are spend uh, kids have 20 different active apps that they're using kind of on a quite frequent basis and are kind of using around 67 uh, websites to access content. Um, now that some of the things that we saw were, were quite interesting. So we did see that kind of binging type behavior on, on the tablet and mobile phone. Um, and what's quite interesting is contacts kind of seem to be really disposable. And though you might be obsessed with something for a few days or a week, um, that can be quickly replaced with something else that kind of the new kid on the block. And so what we're finding is kids were actually dumping apps on a quite frequent basis, kind of doing a big clear out to make way for, for kind of new apps that they wanted to use in terms of accessing content. Um, we also found um, quite, we also witnessed some kind of quite obsessive behavior. One, and the great example of this was Alice, who's 13 years old, and she told us her favorite app on her mobile phone was Snapchat. And we're like, well, how frequently do you think you're using Snapchat on a kind of day-to-day -day basis? And she said, oh, maybe like 16 to 17 times. She underestimated it a little bit. Um, through the Passive Tracker app, it was actually 56 times a day she was accessing Snapchat. Another great example is Ben, who was eight years old. And while his parents thought he was sleeping, he was actually playing um, a game, World of uh, Mine Minecraft. And um, in one session, when his parents thought he was sleeping, he spent five hours in one session.
So as you can see, the kind of media landscape has kind of changed. Um, and what implications does this have for the BBC? Um, so we've kind of talked a lot about behaviour. I think what would be really interesting now is to actually talk about needs that kids have because of this changing media landscape. Not only do they have a wide range of devices to access content, as we've seen, they also have a lot more content now to consume. Um, so I think what this research kind of uncovered was that the kids actually have four big needs when it comes to what they expect content providers to kind of think about. And there's one mega need. This need trumps all other needs and actually impacts kind of what kids want to do. And that's that first need of the, the control over my choice. Um, this need on the side is kind of seen to be more as important as um, water, air and free Wi-Fi for kids. It impacts where they want, how they want to find content, um, what they want to do with content and kind of where they expect to find this content. So let's start with the kind of this big mega need first, which is control over, over choice. And control over the choice is actually all about me 24-7. And what's extremely interesting to note is that this kind of new philosophy towards media actually starts at a really young age and correlates when kids are first expo exposed to the use of the tablet. If you think about it, that kind of makes sense. Kids, when they get a tablet, have control over the choice to some extent. So All About Me kind of revolves around two things. One, it's about that kind of my interaction. You know, I can interact with content the way I want to. And also that freedom about kind of being able to choose what they want when they want it. There's just one small problem in terms of that kind of freedom that kids are wanting um, to get to. Um, and it's unfortunately for them, pesky parents. Um, and, and what we find is that kids are kind of renegotiating who has that power over control over choice. And we kind of see that there's kind of key tipping points where this kind of power is renegotiated. Um, so that first tipping point is around six years old where kind of parents have control over the device that kids are using and have kind of ring-fenced the type of content that they can allow their kids to watch. But kids <coughs> don't have a say-so in terms of what content they will interact with on that specific device. <coughs> uh, the next kind of tipping of power comes at around 11, where kids are kind of given control over the device and the, the type of content that they can consume, but they're under very kind of strict guidelines. This is kind of the age where we, where we hear from parents about screen time. You can have an excellent amount of screen time per day where you can choose what you want to do, um, but we have kind of guidelines that we need you to follow. And at 13 is that kind of critical age where kids feel like they have that freedom over um, control over choice. Um, so not only is that the age where kids kind of start secondary school, it, the ticket to freedom for them is getting their mobile phone. So let's move on to the second need, and it's this need is to do with discovery. Um, kids want to discover content with minimal effort. Now, some would argue this is actually the height of laziness, um, but I would disagree with that. I think it's actually quite ingenious. Kids, in terms of how kids are using apps and have adapted apps and on-demand services to kind of suit them. 
So until recently, um, kids were actively going out to find content. Um, but that's shifted. Kids are now using apps as not only kind of a, a place where choice is curated for them, they're using it as a kind of catchment service for them for themselves, where content is not only filtered, um, it's kind of sourced, um, and they've kind of turned these um, kind of apps and on-demand services into kind of clever searching. Um, and there's no cleverer or more loved um, apps than Netflix and YouTube. Um, as we saw in the Vox Pops, YouTube is extremely popular. Um, not only can you find um, the world's weirdest car crashes, which obviously is very important to that point, but you can find out how to do algebra homework or kind of get help in terms of making fairy cakes or find out, um, find those kind of clips on about Bing or, um, or any other kind of TV show. It's a bottomless pit of content that's always on, always ready to go. And there are suggestions also kind of waiting in the wings for you. Netflix is doing also quite well, um, especially for the younger audiences because of how visual it is and how easy it is to navigate. Um, and if you think about kind of kids at the younger age who are still learning to read and write, this kind of visual nature of navigating through content, um, that's why Netflix is, is doing so well. So the third need is about kind of making everything um, available everywhere. Um, so interesting to note that YouTube and Netflix can be found on any of the ecosystem of devices that kids have access to. And this ecosystem of connected devices means kids um, want to access content from any, uh, from any screen at any time. Which therefore means, unfortunately for the humble TV, in the world of instant, TV isn't. It's actually just seen to be another screen that kids can choose from. And it's in fact the tablet that's become the training wheels in terms of how kids expect to interact with their ecosystem of devices. And I think this is reflected when we ask kids kind of what their favorite device is. So at the very kind of younger age where parents are controlling the device and content um, that the kids are kind of interacting with, it's the, it's the TV that's kind of performing the best. Um, I would note, however, that the tablet's kind of not that far behind. But as kids get older, you see the TV love for the TV declining. But I think it's important to note, and I think Emily and um, Anna kind of talked about it, is that, you know, TV's not dead. Um, it's just the relationship kids have with TV is changed. TV's the best screen and is felt to be the best screen for family time. TV is the best screen when kids are kind of winding into the day and winding out of the day. There is still a very much a role, role for TV. And the last need is about kind of give me content that I can do anything with. With the increased screen time that we've seen kids use and the ecosystem of devices, you know, are kids becoming more antisocial and less creative? Um, well, through this research and lots of other presentations that we've all heard over the last two days, this is actually quite the opposite. Kids are actually becoming more creative and more social. Did it happen if I didn't share in the offline world, if I didn't share it with my friends in the online world through Snapchat stories, for example? Um, 
And what we find is that the online world and the offline world are actually just extensions of each other, um, which we can see here with some, some great examples. So uh, whether it's um, being able using YouTube to draw a cow, which apparently is very difficult to do, um, to dressing up as an angry bird for World Book Day. Um, you know, kids kind of definitely see kind of creation um, of using the online world and offline worlds together. Thanks, Ren. So what have we done then at the BBC as a result of this? So I just want to summarise that this research has been really, really useful. It's highlighted to us that the audience has these four core needs. So first and fundamental is the need around control. So it's really important that we're able to facilitate and enable kids to have control over how, what and where they're accessing content. So this is about personalisation so offering a personalised and tailored experience. And then secondly, the key message that we've taken away is yes, content is still king, but actually content discovery is becoming just as important. So it's going to be really important that we crack content discovery and particularly in the digital space. So we need to help kids find relevant content really easily. It's also highlighted the importance of content experiences. So we need to enable and facilitate creativity. And part of that is also shareability. So kids love to be able to share what they create, both in the physical world when they're younger, but also in the online world and via social media as they get um, as an older age. It's also highlighted that actually, you know, we know that kids are device agnostic. So we need to make sure that we appear everywhere and part of this is understanding the role of those different devices so as Rena said you know TV isn't dead so kids still love watching TV shows it's just they have different screens on which to do that and actually linear TV there's still a role there so in terms of like getting quality family time that's where linear really comes into its own so if we think about it actually TV is now the socially acceptable way to get family time so 10-15 years ago it was you know turn off the telly we're going to play Monopoly together now it's put your tablets and phones away we're going to watch Strictly the Bake Off or Britain's Got Talent so you know this research has been really really helpful and actually one of our objectives was to understand you know why are entertainment brands like YouTube and Minecraft doing so well with our audience and I hope this research has helped to explain that because if we look at YouTube it is the ultimate content destination so it does content discovery really well and then brands like Minecraft and even Lego they do the need around content experiences really well but they make sure they're on the different devices and they also make sure they're in the content destination so kids can find them. So this research has been really, really useful and we're now feeding that into product development within the BBC. So as I've said previously, we can remain fit for purpose in a digital age. Thank you. Um, we've still got a few minutes, thank you. So are there any questions? Who's going to pay for all of this? Because this costs money and... Um, you know they're hardly looking at it they're looking at it but 64 internet sites I don't think I've looked at 64 sites in my life <laughs> so I don't know how a child can look at it in two weeks space so uh, who's going to pay for all this 
And when you say pay for all this, what do you mean? Okay, the content has to be paid for. And otherwise you're going to get poor made content that's made in someone's bedroom because no one can afford to do it. And BBC's got very big budgets. You'll say that you haven't, but you have. You are the biggest player in the world for children's TV, and maybe not with Netflix, but um, someone's got to pay for all of this stuff. So there's a question to throw back at you, guys. Well, I'd say that, as we've said, you know, content is still king, and actually we have got amazing content already. So for us, it's just about making sure we get content discovery really, really right. And we've got Alice Webb, you know, that's leading the way to make sure we've got the funding in order to make sure we can meet the needs of children. Because if, if we don't make these changes, then we could lose that audience and we could lose them to brands that haven't got that public service remit that want to provide nourishing content. So so it's our job to make sure we can find the money in order to meet these needs. Um, I was really interested in the stuff you were talking about, about zero effort to discover. Um, and do you, could you talk a little bit more about what kind of things the kids found easy? So what did they need to be able to discover stuff? What, what, was, what did they think was easy? I think the key point is that what we found is that actually kids are becoming more passive. So previously research has shown them actively searching out and looking for content, whereas with the emergence of content destinations like YouTube and Netflix, it's actually changing their behaviour because those platforms are doing the hard work for them. So they understand the likes and dislikes of the user and feed content accordingly. Kids are becoming reliant on those content destinations. Uh, Sorry. I also think, just to add to that, that YouTube is fantastic because they've almost set out the parameters of what type of content they want that particular provider to capture for them. And therefore, they don't then actually have to actively search for it because it's kind of, YouTube is kind of thought for them because they've set out the parameters. Um, what, what is quite interesting also is the way that kids are using Google. I think a few years ago it tended to be more generic searches, but these days, you know, thanks to Siri, they're asking very specific questions like who is Bob Marley or, you know, how to do a particular problem for, for, for homework rather than looking for more kind of generic things to help kind of facilitate that kind of discovery of, of things. And so is, is part of this around um, that they have basically confidence in the fact that the content will be appropriate for them? So, because uh, I work in program design for a charity and um, looking at behavior change and how you get kids to actually access things. Um, and is, is some of it around the fact that confidence as well as interests are served more easily by that kind of mechanism? Uh, I think if you ask kids, they feel that like they're very confident when it comes to YouTube that the, the type of content that is there would be appropriate to them. If you ask parents the same question, I, I think they would have a very different answer. And I think that's why Netflix works really well, because especially in Netflix Kids, it's like a walled-off kind of garden, uh, sorry, sandbox, in which it's kind of protective and that parents hope that within Netflix kids um, it will be kind of always appropriate content that kids are kind of interacting with and, and choosing. But obviously if you look back at the research that Emily was doing where they're actually tracking those children they're using Netflix and accessing their brother's account which then gives them content that actually they shouldn't be consuming. The reason kids keep going back to these destinations is because they're, they're getting the content that they want and need so why go elsewhere essentially? Okay, well I think we, we need to thank uh, everyone.